Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. People are funny. And that's what I'm preaching about today, funny people. I can point you to the title of my sermon, Deluded, Distracted, and Diverted. But I have another subtitle to that, if I were to name it anything else, or How Christ Dealt with Characters. So that's why I say people are funny. And there is kind of an inside joke with pastors. I'm going to let you in on our world just a little bit that no matter what church we go to, uh, there's always an individual there that we've had in every church we've been at. They, did, they go by different names, but it's the same person by the way they behave. We tend to classify people. Have you ever noticed that? And here's an example uh, that Jesus gives in the book of Luke of three different kinds of people. And so I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk, in short, about how people are kind of classified and how Jesus used that classification of people so many times in his ministry. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's the end of the story of that man. At least as is officially recorded, but there's much more to it. And I think you will agree that where we're going to go with this is not taking undue liberties. I think we'll understand more about this person. Verse 59, another person is introduced. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. End of the story as recorded. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a Hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Three people in rapid-fire succession that Jesus has had very short discussion and interaction with them. Yet, as we look at this passage today, we have just classified three different kinds of people that have come to Jesus concerning the issue of following him, discipleship. So in a sense, we could say there are three kinds of people that come to Jesus and don't necessarily succeed in following him. There's probably more, but these are the ones that Jesus, uh, that the writer highlighted, highlighted that came to Jesus. So these were funny people. They were characters. And we we, we categorize people. One of the ways we categorize them, and any of you who have had just a little bit of, of psychology in college or, or maybe some pre-college uh, psychology in high school, know that there's four categories that typically we use to put people in, uh, into pigeonholes. And one is uh, sanguine, and it's a fancy word that just means you're just a bubbly, happy person. And you can choose your category today, or you might more honestly look at the guy next to you or the person next to you and say, which one do you put me in? You might be surprised. And then the opposite of the sanguine is the melancholic, who's the the Eeyore of the human world. The gloom and the despair, and nothing's going to go good. 
And then you've got the phlegmatic person who's calm and unexcitable. You just can't hardly get them to express themselves. They're, they're just very stoic. Then you have the choleric person that's easily angered. The least little thing sets them off. It doesn't take a catastrophe. They're just a volcano waiting to happen. And psychologists have long used these four categories just to kind of see the different kind of personalities. And you may not cleanly fit in one. You might have some of one and some of another. But, you know, who are you? Uh, but then we've got better ways and more detailed ways of breaking people down into categories. Here are 16 categories I'm just not going to spend any time on, but I just want to list them off for you that uh, people fall into. There is the duty fulfiller, the mechanic, the nurturer, the artist, the protector, the idealist, the scientist, and the thinker, the doer, the guardian, the performer, caregiver, inspirer, giver, visionary, and the executive. So there are 16 that you might have seen yourself in there in one or more categories. You see, we get a crowd together like we do today, and you can almost expect to find, even in this gathering here, somebody who is louder than everybody else. You're going to find somebody in here who's just a wallflower. They're over by themselves, and they don't want to mix. They're shy. You'll probably find in this gathering here today, somebody, if we had all decided to tackle a project, somebody who's going to want to take the leadership on this. They're going to want to step up and immediately start giving people orders and say, you know, let's all divide up and let's do this and you go do that and somebody just take charge. And then there's going to be somebody else that would never dare take charge, but they're willing to do anything they're told. These are the people that the people who take charge love because when they start snapping orders, these other people who are doers, just they, they get in line. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'm not the kind to give orders. We find probably in the gathering, we find somebody who considers himself the court jester and they like the attention by uh, the antics by acting out. And as, as a pastor, and I compare notes with other pastors, and I find a sampling of these characters in all of our churches. In every church I've ever pastored, I've had my prayer warriors. It's not been everybody, but it's been those select people that's been a prayer warrior. I've had that. In every church I've ever pastored, I've had clowns. In every church I've ever pastored, I've had the high-maintenance people that you had to tiptoe around them and be so, oh, so cautious. If you just looked at them wrong or said the wrong thing, that, that they were gone. Then I've had, in every church I've ever had, I've had the, the rocks of Gibraltar, the people you couldn't shake them. They're just there through every storm. I've had in every church... A few murmurers and complainers. That was their calling. And I've had a few people in every church that simply everything just couldn't get better. They just loved it all. People are funny. And you know in the Bible, do you see how often people are categorized? Jesus one time said uh, he gave this... The, the, the parable of the sower. And in that parable of the sower, he demonstrated four different ways that the, the seed was sown. And he said, that's four different kinds of people. He categorized people right there. There are people that hear, but they don't do anything about it. There are people that start, but they don't finish. There are people that, that uh, the seed is snatched away before they ever have a chance. There are people that the word settles into their heart and they bring forth a plenty. And right there, Jesus categorized, in a general sense, people who hear the word. He categorized people uh, in the parable of, uh, in the story of the prodigal son, as those who are enamored by the world and caught away, and they forsake the good life, 
to go chasing what they think is the good life as opposed to the one that stayed home. And then he also categorized when the son came home the difference between those who are willing to forgive and those who are jealous with the spirit of the elder son. Just so many things that Jesus taught, he was putting people into different categories. And in the people that followed Jesus, you take the ones that actually followed him and you've got categories there. You've got those who followed him clear to the end, his, that they became apostles. They were his disciples, his faithful ones. But you also had among his followers those that could not follow him all the way. They got, they got mixed up and, and angry and confused because he preached, this is my, uh, uh, I am the bread of life, eat my body, drink my blood, and that offended them because they couldn't understand, and they just they said, enough of this. It was fun while there was miracles, but now he's talking nonsense, and they walked away. So you got those that are just there temporarily and those that were dedicated to stay through it all. And then take and narrow it down to the 12 that were his disciples that followed him. And you still got categories there. You still have within those, those that were, that you have impetuous Peter, doubting Thomas, covetous Judas. You had quarrelers. You had some who were very mature and you had some who acted so childish, and Christ was always having to resolve the conflict between them. So in this passage, we have this example of three different kinds of people that come to him. All are presented with the proposition of following him. And we have none of them evidence that they did follow him. But you might read this today, and you might see bits and pieces of yourself if it doesn't just relate to following Jesus, it may relate to some aspect of your relationship with him. As I said, we've got categories of people here today. We have those that are, are fully committed, and uh, they're 100%. They're in. They're, they're in it to win it. You have in the story of Jesus uh, with the, the woman with the issue of blood. You have those that touch Jesus, but you have those that are just throngers. They're just around the edges. Three people. First of all, I'll, I'll call the per first person a zealot. And this man represents those people who are high on energy, but they're low on wisdom. They're quick out of the starting blocks, but they don't have any endurance to run a marathon. He nobly comes to Jesus and offers, saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. But by Jesus' answer to him, he didn't have a clue what he was saying. He was ambitious, but he didn't understand what he was committing to. Christ would not, not have bothered to spell out the harsh conditions of complete discipleship for this man if this man already understood the conditions of complete discipleship. So we see in the fact that Jesus said, if you follow me, there are even the creatures that have comfort and have a home and have a nest and have a place, but I don't have even a place to call my own bed. By saying that, he was informing the man of an area he was ignorant of if he were to follow him. And we're, we're made aware of the impetuous crowd that tends to follow Christ based on the glamorous side. Now, those who have spent many years following Jesus you realize it's not all a bed of roses, is it? But not everybody understands that. This man didn't understand that. Admittedly, there can be a certain excitement in serving Jesus. And again, as you categorize people, there are those who will respond to the excitement of following Jesus. They might walk into a church that is just uh, 
brimming and bustling and, and uh, on fire, and boy, they go away and say, wow, that is great. But if you have to go through a dry season, they can't stick it out. There's not a commitment there. There's just looking for that sensationalism. This overly zealous man is, is the same as those people that were following Jesus, that he gathered crowds as long as he was miraculously healing or as long as he was breaking bread and fish and feeding people, thousands would show up for that kind of thing. But let him get down to some very severe teaching about what it means to follow him, and they departed. They deserted him. Christ knew people were funny. As much as we deal with funny people, and some of you, you're in a business where you deal with people on a daily basis and you know people are funny and how do you deal with them some people if you are customer service in any way shape or form some people come in and you're just so delighted to see them because they are a breath of sanity and other people you want to run and hide let somebody else take care of them So this man is kind of like the same people that they followed Jesus when there was something attractive, something exciting. Uh, these are the kind of people that uh, they'll, they'll go to the new opening, grand opening, because the store is offering free hot dogs and Pepsis, but they don't plan on buying anything. That's the kind that on the edge follow Jesus. As long as there's something free, as long as there's something exciting, let's follow him. And, you know, I evangelized for a while. There's something kind of exciting about evangelizing. There also is something very difficult about evangelizing. I had, from time to time, people that wanted to join up and travel with me. I would go hold revivals, and I'd, I'd have uh, some people come up and say, I, the Lord told me to quit my job and to travel with you. And, of course, you know that people hear all kinds of things. And I can't, I can't just take that at face value. God never told me that they were going to quit their job and travel with me. Uh, I could have very easily said to them, uh, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. The evangelist doesn't have a place to lay his head. Because it looked, it looked very impressive and attractive. Because as an evangelist, here's kind of the, the superficial, spectacular part of it. Is people are coming especially to hear you. I come into a church and suddenly the pastor says, we've got more people here today than we've had in a long time. Well, they came to hear me. They may not know me, but, you know, the evangelist here. So they, they came. And that's kind of, that's kind of heady. And I could say exactly the same thing the pastor has been saying in all the sermons, but they heard me. They didn't hear the pastor. That's kind of heady. You give an altar call, and people who haven't budged out of their pew in years suddenly are coming down and filling the altar, and the pastor just saying, you know what happened today? We've never had this kind of response. That's kind of heady. It's not because I was special, but it's just kind of the dynamics that surrounds evangelism. You get to travel. If people like to travel, that would be appealing to you. You get to stay in, you know, different, sometimes very nice accommodations, motels. You get to eat wonderful food and get to meet wonderful people, get invited into their homes. As an evangelist, I got invited into homes the pastor never got invited into. They treated him special. And I can see when somebody looks at that and says, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. You don't know. You don't know the times that I've been out traveling and I didn't have enough money to stop and buy a hamburger. So I decided that'd be a good time to fast. It's just handy to do that in those times. You go with the flow of it. You don't fight it. You don't understand. And whenever I took my uh, information to the accountant for, to, to file my taxes, that he said, this is impossible. Nobody can live on this. <laughs> 
It looks a little glamorous. It looked glamorous to people that followed Jesus. Wouldn't that be neat, they would think, to follow this guy, and everywhere we go, people just throng around us, and I'm one of his followers. And every once in a while, he will empower his followers to go out and do the thing, things he is doing, and they'll go out two by two, and they'll go into cities, be an extension of his ministry, and uh, the demon-possessed are delivered, and the and the, the sick are healed, and the dead are raised, and I, that is so exciting. I just want to be a part of that. That's this man. He sees this. He's all excited. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's a very shallow mentality that chooses to follow Jesus because you just happen to enter this relationship with him when there was kind of an upswing. You, you, you tended to come whenever things were really hopping and popping. But are you here to follow Jesus through the whole thing? Are you really going to hold on to him when the going gets rough? Let, let's move to the... This, this person is the one I call the deluded person. He sees things, but not as they really are. We move from deluded to this next person, distracted. And I call this person the preoccupied. In this situation, you notice the difference between this one and the first one? In the first one, the man approaches Jesus and makes the offer. I'll follow you wherever you go. In the second one, Jesus approaches the man and says, follow me wherever I go. So he's changed it up a little bit just to show the variety of ways that people have come to face the proposition of following Jesus. You can approach him and volunteer. He can approach you and recruit you. But we have another character here. He didn't seek Christ. Christ sought him. It's one thing to submit an application and get turned down. It's quite another for someone to get an invitation and you turn them down. I mean, let's say, uh, to put it in maybe modern terms, uh, so many of you here still are in the workforce. You've been on the job hunting end of things. But what, a, what if your reputation got out, you were so good at what you did, the companies, while you were still employed, started calling you and said, we had heard what a wonderful employee you are. We want you to come and be a part of our company. You can bring something for us. And here you are, you're not even looking for a job, and job offers are coming in. Would you not feel somewhat flattered by that? Shocked, maybe, I don't know. And this man, Jesus, went to him. I, I have to believe that Jesus saw potential. We're not told a lot about this, except Jesus approached him and said, follow me. What an opportunity. What a blessing. And the man completely blows it. His response seems to be legitimate. Who could not sympathize with somebody who is still grieving the loss of a loved one. Who wouldn't make special concessions at such a time as this? And why would Christ give such a seemingly cold, uncaring answer to this man who gets an invitation to follow Jesus, who says, yeah, I, I can do that. Let me go home and uh, take care of the funeral arrangements. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Now, that doesn't set well with us. We kind of tend to sympathize with the man who wasn't given a little bit of slack. Come on, Jesus. This man's hurting. But we have to understand what Jesus is saying is there are priorities that every one of us have to keep in mind. We have to make choices based on the proper and the correct priorities. And there are certain things that although they have earthly importance, that when compared to spiritual and heavenly things, they don't even compete. And we have to make tough decisions sometimes. 
And Jesus said, yes, you could go home and do that. But at this point, it's more about you than it is about him. He's dead. And you can't do any good for yourself. But there are people there that I have not called. I did not give them an invitation. They can take care of this. I promise you. It will go just fine. They are spiritually dead. And it will not cost them anything to go ahead and take care of this. But you I'm trying to speak spiritual life into. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And this didn't set well with this man. He didn't respond either that we have any clue. Now, this was no doubt a a crisis. I would call it a crisis. But how many times do people with the proposition of following Jesus allow the crisis to keep them from making that commitment to him? I've seen this so many times, and you have too. Sidetracked by the crises of life. If we can just get past the crisis, then I can do something for the Lord. You know, the mistake you've just made there is hell heard what you just said. And they have one crisis after another now lined up for your life. Because if that's all it takes to keep you from making a commitment to follow Jesus, hell will accommodate you. You will have one crisis, you'll have another crisis, you'll have another crisis. If I could just get by this, Lord, I can serve you. But blessed be the man, blessed be the woman, that no matter what storms come their way, serving God is number one. This character would be so interested in serving God if they just weren't so bogged down with emergencies all the time. Oh, I've met this person. I've met this person in the flesh. In nearly every church I've been in, people that they they really did have a tender heart towards God. They really did. They, they were sympathetic too. Yeah, I would like to serve the Lord. I'd like to get plugged into church. But right now we have a situation in our family and it's taking all my time. And I can't, I just can't do anything right now. I've got to, you know, it just doesn't work that way. We have to prioritize whether God is worth following. Whether we are able to make room for God. Or whether we're going to let hell continue to distract us. So this man who would go bury his father you can just kind of imagine what that would be like to go back home. He'd be faced with all these other equally important matters and be perpetually sidetracked from selling out to God. Because after he goes home, uh, let's put it in modern-day context. I don't know what they did in that culture, but in modern-day context, you go home, okay, you're going to take care of the funeral. But now you have all the issues after the funeral. You've got to take care of the estate. There is going to be the reading of the will. You're going to have to attend that. And somebody has to be the executor of the state. This could have been this man. That has to be taken care of. And after all, that's a legal matter, and somebody has to do that. Then there's this matter of dad's gone, and somebody has to provide for mom. She's a widow. And, and it, it all seems very legitimate. But hell just keeps churning out like a factory day and night these endless supply of reasons and deterrence not to follow Jesus right now on his terms at his t- in his timing at his bidding and and it sounds like we're being very cold hearted but Jesus is calling and when Jesus calls he knows what's in your life won't you follow Jesus well right now we're kind of in a crisis no follow him right now maybe he can help you with your crisis Number three character. I want to call him the gambler. And I call him that because he was willing to run the risk of going back to his family before answering the call. All he wanted to do is go say goodbye. And that's when Jesus said this. It was kind of a a warning. He said, 
you cannot, any person who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Now, that was a warning to this man. You have made your commitment to follow me. But if you go back and you get deterred, then you're not going to be fit to follow me because you cannot keep your focus. There was a story many, many, many years ago that an obscure evangelist told, and it has stuck with me ever since. So I give credit where credit is due, but I love this little illustration. He said there was a man that had a, uh, a coon dog, and he was bragging about how great this dog was, and another man was challenging him. And he's asking him about his coon dog. He said, what, what would happen if you took your coon dog out? And he's on the trail of a raccoon. And suddenly a rabbit pops out of the bush. And this dog chases after the rabbit. And the man says, my dog would never do that. And the man insists. Yeah, okay. But what if he did? And the man says, there's no if about it. My dog would not do that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But what if? And this goes on till it's just almost ridiculous. And finally, finally the man gets him to move into the hypothetical. Okay, so your dog wouldn't do it. Well, what if? And he restated the proposition. What if? Just what if? A dog that you had. And he's after a raccoon. And the rabbit pops out of the bush. And you've spent how many thousands of dollars on this dog? Just like you have this one right here, this prized dog. You've got thousands invested in it. What would you do? And the man said, well, I'd get in the pickup and go home. And the man is, is beside himself. You, you do what? You'd get up. They pick up and go home. Why would you do that? The dog, he'll find his way home. And when he gets home, I will take out my shotgun and I will blow his head off. And the man is incensed. Are you kidding me? This dog, you've got several thousand dollars wrapped up in your prized dog. Why would you do that? And he said, because a dog that cannot keep his nose to the trail is no good. God puts you on track. And how many of us keep chasing every rabbit that pops out of the bush instead of following Jesus? We follow Jesus because there's no distractions today. We're not deterred by anything. But suddenly something pops up. And so this man says, well, let me go home and say goodbye. And Jesus gave him this warning. You can't put your hand to the plow and make your commitment and then get distracted and deterred. You're not any good for the kingdom if you do that. So off the man goes. Knowing that he's taking a gamble, knowing that he's flattering himself, saying, yeah, lesser people might fail, but I won't fail. I'm going to go home and say goodbye. So the man goes home, and he announces to his family, well, I've met an itinerant evangelist, and I'm going to go and travel with him. And his family says, you're going to do what? I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go full-time traveling with this man. Can you imagine the family's concern for this well-being? They very tenderly say, you're an idiot. You're going to quit your job, and you're going to go follow this man. What's he do? Well, he just, try to, he just walks around and meets people. Praise for him. You're out of your mind. Get your education. Get your career. Do something with your life. You're wasting your time following this man around. So he goes home and faces all these arguments. And they can be very persuasive. You know, you, you need to find a wife, have a family, buy a house, get a poodle puppy. Do all the things that people do normally in life. We don't have any evidence that this man came back and said, I finished saying goodbye. I'm ready to follow you. He went home. He took the gamble, and he didn't make it. 
Now, people are deterred from following Jesus. I'm telling you, the powers of hell know that every person who makes that commitment to follow Jesus is vulnerable. And do you know one of the major tricks that hell uses for new believers? Now, be careful when you hear this, because I want you to understand I'm saying this from a point of concern, and I'm also saying this from a a perspective of having seen how many times people fail because of this. But a newborn believer, so many times in my ministry, comes and they'll, they'll get saved, they'll come to the altar, they'll make a commitment to the Lord, they feel clean, they feel refreshed, they're on fire for God, they want to get up, and within just a short bit, they've got a job that requires them to work on Sundays. And now they've got to make a decision. And they come to me and say, Pastor, you know, I, I have to now work on Sundays. And in my heart, I know this is one of the things hell will use to cause somebody to lose their, their edge in following Jesus. I know it. Now, there's been very, very few people who have survived that scenario. I've seen a few. You can survive it. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I am telling you you're taking a gamble. And if you're not strong enough in the Lord to survive that little distraction that comes your way, that is going to kill you and your plans to follow Jesus. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And I guess whenever I talk to people about that, I say, you know, uh, you're going to have to make up your decision between you and God, what you are willing to do and what kind of sacrifice you're willing to make. But I will tell you this, at whatever level You are willing to trust Jesus. That's the level at which he will meet you and take care of you. Now, that's that's a pretty stiff order for a young Christian to understand and to comprehend. At whatever level, you're willing to trust him. If you're willing to trust him and say, Lord, I, I, I think I can, if I give this up for you because I really need the maturity, I need the discipleship, I need to get plugged into you, And you say, Lord, I am going to forego this. I'm going to bypass it for you, and I'm trusting for you to meet my needs. I promise you God is going to take care of you. But if you can't do that and you only do that because the pastor believes that, you'll fail at that too. You have to have the faith to trust God. If you have the faith at whatever level you are willing to trust God, God will meet you there. Now, there's been other things that have distracted people too. I led a young man to the Lord back when I was on the evangelistic field, but he was was in my hometown. At the time I was evangelizing, I also had a little storefront music store. It had a lot of people coming in. I got to meet a lot of people through that store. That uh, I got to, uh, they knew I was a Christian. Uh, I got to go sing for a man. Uh, his mother died, and he was a he was a very hardened non-believer. There had been a time in his life when he wasn't like that, but he had some very sour experiences in his life. But when his mom died, guess who he wanted to come and minister to the family and sing for them? And I was so grateful for that kind of an opportunity that opened up had others that came in that they began to, to get hungry for the Lord and some of them knowing my Christian walk they 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 found a church somewhere got got plugged in got saved and started going to Bible study I saw things happening from this had a young man that came in and he got curious about my relationship with the Lord he ended up coming to church with me ended up going down to the altar and getting saved ended up After that, coming down to the altar and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. All of this just because somebody saw something in somebody else that they were hungry for. But before he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and just shortly after he got saved, he was saying, tell me about this tithe thing. Now, that's a tough one to explain to young believers. And I did. I explained what the tithe was in giving a 10% of your income. And he started tithing. And shortly after he started tithing, he came to me and he said, for the first time in my life, since I have started tithing, I cannot make my house payment. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to work. And he was getting bitter. 
He said, if I hadn't paid my tithe, I had enough to make my house payment. Now, that's when you're really saying, Lord, you've got to pull this one out now. And the conclusion of that story is at least to get beyond this sticky point is he did continue to serve the Lord, and he did continue to grow in him. But that was that point where you had to make that decision. Are you going to take that gamble? So the man goes home. He gambles that he can endure those who are going to try and talk him out of it. How many of you here, when you started walking with the Lord, you had either friends or family, acquaintances of somehow, that tried to talk you out of it? Has you got anybody here? See? We've got, oh, yes, we've got many hands here today. They, they wanted to talk you out of it. Let, may I tell you the story of my uncle? And I, I've mentioned T.E. Gannon a number of times because you know T.E. Gannon. He was the former district superintendent of the Iowa District Assemblies of God. He was the one that came when this church was, was started and put the church in order. His name is on the paperwork. And he went from district office in Des Moines down to general council office in Springfield and served there as assistant superintendent and as uh, uh, director of home missions. And so this is a name that's well known in the Assemblies of God. When in his Theodore Ellsworth was his name. He was known as T.E. in religious circles. He was known as Ellsworth by the family, Uncle Ellsworth to me. And when Ellsworth was 10 years old, he went down in Trenton, Missouri to a little church by himself. He was from a family that would eventually be seven, sister, uh, seven girls and seven boys, seven sisters and six brothers. So the family wasn't complete yet, but as a 10-year-old boy, by himself down to this little Assembly of God church. And he came back home. And he told his parents, I have something to share with you. I went to church tonight, 10 years old. And he said, I got saved. And Grandma and Grandpa Gannon came apart. That's a cult. Don't you know that's a cult? You understand what a cult is? We forbid you to ever go back to that church. And that little 10-year-old boy looked at them and said, You are my father and my mother, and God wants me to obey you. And I'll do exactly what you say, but I'm never going to stop loving Jesus. Well, those words stuck in their heart and their mind, and they're thinking on that every day, and pretty soon it just haunts them so bad that they decide, okay, we'll go with him. (laughs) You know the end of the story. (laughs) And Grandpa and Grandma again and walk into that little church, and they get saved, and they find Jesus. And the Gannon family that has given such a contribution to the world. But you know, they tried to talk him out of it. It's a gamble sometimes. Your family doesn't want you to. Your wife doesn't want you to go to church. Your husband doesn't want you to go to church. Your children think you're nuts. Your friends, they miss you. They're out partying. They say, why don't you come down? You're no fun since you started going to that church anymore. And they're going to try and talk you out of it. But you can't gamble with this. You've made a start to follow Jesus. And the fact is, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and says, I'm going to plow this field and then doesn't finish it is worthy of the kingdom of God. You've got to keep on going. Nobody can talk you out of following Jesus if you just determine to do that. I'm only on point number one was my sermon. I got three points, but the last two are very, 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 very short. So don't panic. The second point is this. One of the common problems with what went on with these three people is there was a me first syndrome. If you, if you read a, a two out of three of these said, let me first go home. Let me first go back. There's a me first problem here. You can't make a good disciple with Jesus when you got the big number one that's standing in the way. You have to be willing to crucify you, yourself, your desires, your plans, your career. Everything about you now becomes secondary to what is about Jesus. Me first cannot follow Jesus. And we get to thinking in terms of how convenient is it for me 
to follow Jesus? How convenient is it for me to attach myself to church? Am I going to have to give up my Sundays? I love my Sundays. I don't, that's me first. You might as well go home. You can't follow him. It's got to be God, number one. Me first doesn't work. It's not always been easy for me as a minister to follow where God leads me and to do what he wants me to do. It's been times when there's been difficult decisions. But I've tried hard to put God number one in my life. God is looking for those who make an immediate, intelligent decision to follow him, and they do not back out on that. In 1980, my wife and I had been married for three years, and in April of 1980, I finally, as the evangelistic field was slowing way down for me, I had had more revivals than, than, than I, could, I could fit in. People calling, and they was trying to get booked on... Now, if they'd have each taken an empty week, it would have been fine, but everybody wants those special weeks, you know. I couldn't fit them all in. And then all of a sudden, the revival, the evangelistic field started drying up for me. And so I waited, and my wife is expecting, and we have no income. So I've got to make this decision. I can either go out and just get a job and settle here, but I, I understand the risk and the gamble. Or I can trust God. And finally, finally, a revival comes through. It's down in Georgia. And, no, it's down in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama. I went to Georgia right after that. And I had these two meetings set up. So my wife is three weeks overdue. And I've got a revival scheduled. 750 miles away. So I just look at her and I, I say, Honey, can you... Can you just hold on? <laughs> well, what else are you going to do? So I get down to Birmingham. Monday night. We started the revival on Sunday. Monday night. Seven minutes after seven o'clock, I get a phone call. They call me off the platform. I go back, hello. You got a new son. She didn't wait three days. What's this? Lord, this didn't work out at all like it's supposed to work out. My wife's back there without me having this baby. And I'm down here. And I'm not sure this looks too good. The pastor says, you've got to go home. I said, I've got a revival. I've got a wife. I've got a revival. What do I do? And that scripture in the Bible came to me. No man has forsaken family or friends, mother or father, sister. But no man has forsaken any of that except that it will be brought back to him in greater measures now that's just a paraphrase no person has forsaken the things of this world except that God is going to bless them I got to see my son I finished up the revival I went to to uh, Georgia I preached one night in Georgia and Sunday night I got in the car and drove all through the night so I'd get back on Monday and see my eight-day-old eight son. Eight days old before I got... All kinds of people got to see my son and hold him before I did. And we raised that, our firstborn. He never gave us... He never gave us any trouble. I can't help but think that when you put God first, it pays off in the long run. I wish I could have been there on day one. But I want to tell you something to raise somebody that was never a problem. I never had to bail him out of jail. I never had to get him cleaned off of drugs. I never had him out late partying in some booze party somewhere. 
just an ideal young man, that it all started off with dad making a commitment to say, God, I'm going to put you number one. And this is not what I in the flesh want. But Lord, if you will bring that, that back to me, many fold over, it's worth the short investment. You know, all he wants is somebody to put him first. You're going to make some tough decisions sometimes. Number three, in closing, I promised you they were short points. Christ dealt with characters. He dealt with people who were never serious about following him. But it's also important to remember that he dealt with characters who did follow him. He had characters on his team. Impetuous, proud, greedy, arrogant, childish. The difference is this. Some people allowed their character flaws to keep them from following Jesus. And some people follow Jesus to get their character flaws fixed. Now, God's not waiting for perfect people to follow him. He's waiting for you to say yes. He'll take care of your character flaws. He will grow you into the image of Jesus Christ. The worst thing you can do is be scared off from following Jesus because you don't like the price you might have to pay. You don't like the inconvenience it may cause you. But come as you are. Let God make you into what he wants you to be. And don't say, I'm too busy. Don't say it's too difficult. Don't say there's more important things for me to do. Just say, I will follow you. And you seek God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Or like it's been shortened up. You take care of God's business. God will take care of your business. Worship team, would you come?